Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Amen. Thanks, Dee. Just to remind you that all of the sessions have been videoed. They're up uh, and available to be watched or viewed, and um, and the notes are attached. So you can download all of the notes with all of the scriptures and everything. All of the quotes will be on there. All right, well, I want to start tonight with a, with a story. Um, it's a hypothetical story of a church community that lives on the banks of a river. They find themselves in the most beautiful environment, green grass, uh, beautiful trees, and a wide open park for the children to play, and it's right next to a beautiful big river. And they have this amazing Christian community. Sundays they get together and worship and enjoy meals together. Just, just a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Except that one day somebody notices that the river has turned red. And shortly after that, they discover that there are bodies floating down the river. And so uh, they... they obviously investigate and find some of these some of these folks are still alive, bodies are still alive. So they dive in and pull them out and, uh, and begin to resuscitate them. Very soon they've built a hospital and uh, with an intensive care and it's emergency rooms. And, and then, of course, these people have been badly damaged, so then they have to have rehabilitation and they've got physios and occupational therapists and everybody's working flat out looking after all these bodies. And every day more bodies come down the river. And, uh, and in the end, they've, you know, their, their, their entire lives are consumed with fixing these broken people who've come down the river. Until one day, somebody asks a question, and the question is this. Shouldn't somebody go upstream and find out what's gone wrong? And I think that's very much what biblical worldview is about. Because the promise of Jesus is that we will have a life of fullness and what I believe, you know, biblical worldview is mainly about is, is finding out how we, we're able to, through biblical understanding, take on that, that, those truths that will result in us living a life of fullness. Because it's the enemy who came to kill, steal, and to destroy. And uh, we read again Matthew 28 verse 19. When Jesus said this, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And that was his final command in Matthew's gospel, certainly. And I believe it's key to understanding how we as people fix the problems as we as Christians make an impact into the world in which we live, because the answers for every problem are within the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit will direct us to them. And so when Jesus made that statement, when he, when he said to them, go and make disciples of all nations, a couple of questions I want to ask you. Number one is, what did Jesus envisage that we would be doing when he said... 
go and make disciples of all nations. What, what, what in your mind do you think he meant? <laughs> and what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be discipling? Um, and obviously, we're talking about biblical worldview. So we're supposed to be discipling a biblical worldview to people. And what does that mean? And we're going to look at that tonight. But the next question I want to ask is this. If that's what we're meant to be doing, what will a discipled nation look like when the task is complete? And that's a great question, isn't it? What will it look like when the job's finished? And is there a nation on the face of the earth in which that task has been finished? And what does it look like? And the answer is no, there's not. Not a single nation on the face of the earth today that uh, has accomplished the fullness of what Scripture teaches us to, to live by. I, I, think, I think the United States has come over the years close to that. The, you know, the founding fathers, as I said the other night, did an incredible job of putting in biblical principles into the foundations of this nation. But I think they're being lost. A lot of those are being lost, and the works of the enemy are beginning to disciple us. And we said that's what will happen. If we don't disciple the nation, the opposite's going to happen. I want to show you some pictures now of a situation that I found myself just observing, really, I guess, back home in South Africa. Um, and it's in a little village. So that first picture is a picture of a church. Um, it, it was a denominational church. I won't mention which one. I'm not trying to run anybody down. All I want to know is why is it that we have not made a difference? That building that's fallen down, uh, was still standing a month before we arrived, and a storm came up and blew it over. But that village uh, is a little village called Nyaniswene. It's in the, um, in the area of Transkei of South Africa. And it was a village which was, has been there for many, many years. And that church building was built a century before that. So at the beginning of the 1900s, it was built, and we went there in the early 2000s. And just the month before we got there, it got blown over. So that church has been there for 100 years. And I began to look around and say, so what is the impact of the church on a local community like that when they've had 100 years to bring in a life of fullness? Um, and, and what has the impact been? Next one. And we had a look around, and that's the surrounding area. As you can see, it's overgrazed, um, it's eroding badly, and it's pretty neglected, and the people are doing very poorly indeed. Most of them are simply waiting for the next uh, delivery of their, of their granny's money that comes from the state, so that they can use that to purchase whatever they want to, and they sit around. Um, and so that's a that's a frightening fact, but it happens in many, many countries. Next one. We had in our church back in Port Elizabeth this couple, um, and Patience and Vumile. Vumile was the man. He uh, was one of the zone pastors, I guess. He looked after an area uh, of folk in the, in the church. Um, but they felt that they wanted to go back to their to their roots, and he had a little piece of ground 
uh, in that town of Nyaniswini or of the little village of Nyaniswini, and they wanted to go back there. So before they went back, we decided we would, we would want them to plant a, certainly a church in their home, but that they would be able to support themselves using a principle called farming God's way, which I can't go into in great, in great detail, but someone back, uh, back home in, in our church has been very involved uh, in farming God's way, which is a principle of farming that uses a lot less labor but is extremely successful. Um, and they're using those farming techniques, by the way, even on an industrial scale now. And patience was taught how to teach preschool children because we were given the understanding that the children, certainly in the area where these folk live and in the Eastern Cape where we live, 78% uh, of them do not get through school. They fall out on the way. And by the time they get to uh, they, they're fourth or fifth graders, they can still not read or write, but they're just pushed through, and then they fall out because they just don't cope. So it's, it was felt that, if, in fact, a sociologist said to us, if the church is going to put a, any money into anything, put money into preschools because that's going to help people long term. And it's very much, as I said, that's going upstream to try to solve the problem. Um, so these, uh, these folk, we sent them back, and uh, that was us praying over them and setting them in in that little village. Next photograph. And there you'll see is Vumile, and he is actually, he was crippled from polio at birth, and so he's actually on crutches. But that was his piece of ground, and, uh, and they set about changing it. Next one. Um, and there, that was their crop of potatoes that they put in. There's a, there's a thick mulch, you can see, which they call God's blanket, and there's a hole. It's, a, it's an incredibly biblically-based way of farming uh, and has incredible results, as I said. And the next picture, for me, there, there the potatoes are. <laughs> and, and I just feel like that speaks so much of this incredible potential that God's put within us and the ability to create wealth and the stuff that we know that we can live by, and yet we, we don't see it. And what had the church done in a hundred years because nothing changed? And the folk there still had the worldview that we will wait for the, you know, the handout money in order to survive. So there, there is a, there's a golden thread that runs right through scriptures, right from beginning from Genesis all the way through, that, that speaks of something which we can tap into and which God, I believe, with all of his being, wants us to tap into and wants us to understand and wants us to be uh, a source of blessing through. And so we go right back to the beginning, to Genesis 1, verse 28. And that says this, it says, God blessed them and said to them, this, by the way, this blessing came before he gave them a job. This was, the blessing was there right from the start. He blessed them, and then he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we've spoken a little bit about that. What, what that means, he was saying, is take dominion over it. You are not subject to, but you are given dominion over. So make a plan. <laughs> Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
The, um, the CEV, which is the contemporary English version, says it this way. It says, God said to them, fill the earth with people and bring it under your control. Simple as that. And that's the command right at the beginning. We need to understand that because, as I said to you, the animistic approach, the, the approach of many countries and nations where life is failing them badly is because of this worldview that says, I'm subject to, whereas we as Christians believe we have been given dominion over. And so when things don't go right, we make a plan. Um, I, I've always been so impressed with, with the American people because, you know, you know how to make a plan. And if it doesn't work, you change it so that it does work. Um, and that's, that's a mindset, that's a worldview. But as we said, ideas have consequences, and the consequences have been incredibly positive for this, for this nation. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abram. He says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and then this amazing statement, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we need to understand that that was God's desire right from the beginning to bless all peoples through Abraham, which includes every single one of us. And the golden thread I want to do to, to follow now is the one that comes through from Abraham right into the New Testament. But just Let's look at a couple of other translations. In Genesis 12, 3 from the New Living Translation, it says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Today's English version says, and through you I will bless all the nations. New Jerusalem Bible, and all clans on earth will bless themselves by you. So there's not a family, clan, tribe, or nation, however you translate that, which was not in God's sights to bless. And the blessing, he said, would come through Abraham. So we bring this golden thread then right from the beginning, right through into the New Testament, and we come to Galatians 3, verse 29, and it says this, And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So now... The blessing of the nations is in our hands and it's ours to pass on. And we have to understand that because it's key to understanding where the blessing for the future lies in the world. It's with us because the blessing would flow from Abraham through Christ to us. And we now are those true children of Abraham according to the word. And then that takes us through to Matthew 28, verse 19, which is where this golden thread follows through to. In Matthew 28, 29, uh, 19, it says, Therefore go, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what will we be discipling them with? What, what is that worldview that has to be you know, shared, that has to be inculcated into, the, into nations to make the difference. And as I said, I believe a lot of that, those values, a lot of that world, uh, worldview system 
exists in this, in this nation, in, in, in North America. There's no doubt in my mind that the United States has lived in the blessing of a lot of that. Uh, and that's why everybody wants to come here. Um, in Mark 16, verse 15, uh, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And so I, I looked up in Strong's Concordance what that word creation meant. And it's very interesting because it's actually translated creation or creature. But when Strong's breaks it down, it speaks about every building, speaks about every creation, speaks about every creature, speaks about every ordinance. It's very interesting. And when I, when I let my mind run a little in that direction, I, I can understand how the Lord is saying to us, every, for an architect, every building that you design, for a builder, every building that you build, put into the very foundations the, the, the truths of the glory of this wonderful Lord that we serve and let this thing built for, be built for your glory. We see it in the cathedrals in Europe. We, we see how men in the past have glorified God through that which is their ability to do. What, what would it mean if every local authority you know, built their rules for that authority, every ordinance, every, every law, that's what it means, if they built it on biblical principles with the biblical worldview. What would it mean if every nation in the world did that? And what a different world we would, world we would live in. And so when we understand that, we understand the power of a biblical worldview to change the way things are and give us a hope for the future and a hope that this kingdom that we're part of will continue to advance until Jesus comes. Matthew 24 verse 14 says this, again the words of Christ. He says, in this gospel of the kingdom, it's interesting, he never talks about, you don't hear Jesus talking about a gospel of salvation. He talks about a gospel of the kingdom, which will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so this gospel of the kingdom that he's talking about is still, it's got a long way to go, I think, before all nations uh, have been preached to and the whole world affected by that. I think we've got a lot of work ahead of us still, but that's just my personal opinion. There was a, a very interesting um, talk that I heard some years back. In fact, back in 1998, when this whole journey on biblical worldview started for me, Landa Cope was brought out to South Africa. She was part of YWAM, and uh, she was asked to come and, come and uh, talk about the, um, what were called, the, the, some people call the seven mountains. But she was speaking about that and shared a story in, you know, during that, that sessions, her sessions anyway, which deeply impacted me. She said she, uh, she had been uh, watching television and, and came across this program where the TV journalist uh, was examining the work of the church in the United States. I think it might have been someone from the UK uh, and probably, well, almost certainly an atheist who had a, a case against the church and said to 
the pastors that she interviewed, and she then went through uh, many of the cities and in, interviewed some of the uh, some of the you know the well-known Christian names. And Landis said you would know the names of these pastors, um, and asked them a question. Said to them, "Do you believe that your impact as the church has had an influence upon the nation and upon the people that you serve?" And the pastor said, "Of course, of course it has." Of course, it'll make a difference. So this journalist then said, well, would you allow me then to just do a survey and find out the impact of that? And they said, that would be great. I'd love to, love to prove the point. And, um, and so she said, well, if we were to say uh, pro rata, the city who, that has the most number of people going to church on Sunday, Percentage-wise, pro rata, the, the most number of people going to church on Sunday, that would probably be the city that is the best, best off because the Christians would be greatest in number there. And so it was agreed she would be able to do that. So off she went and she did that and she surveyed most of the big cities of the United States and the city that was uh, the city where the most number of people percentage-wise were attending church on a Sunday was Dallas, Texas. And she then began to look at the um, you know, infant mortality, which I said to you the other day, is a great, you know, it's a great judge of the well-being of a city. It wasn't great. Uh, medical care, uh, not, not that great. Housing, was housing available? Not that great. Were jobs available? also came up with the statistics of that, not, not that great. Education was not good. The average income wasn't good. And so she, this journalist then came up with all of these facts and went to the Christian leaders in Dallas, the pastors who were leading big works, and said this to them, said, here are the facts. Uh, Dallas is one of the, the worst cities in the nation to be living in, and yet it's got the most Christians. And without, without exception, every single one of those leaders said to her, that's not our problem. We're church leaders. And in some ways, my case rests because... What did we say last night was the consequence of the difference between a Greek and a Hebrew worldview. The Greek philosophy was, let everything that is, pertains to real life, put that one side and let the church look after the spiritual welfare. And so that division, that divide took place right there. The historic end of the church, we can put up the next one, the the historic end of the church's role in society took place on that, very, on that very basis. This dualism we're talking about, this, this ability to go to church on a Sunday, worship the Lord, and then live on Monday as if he doesn't exist. And that came about because of this division, I believe that we can trace right back to the Greek thinking, the Greek philosophy, that matter is evil and spiritual matters are that which is good and the two never meet. And that's not Hebrew. It's not Hebrew worldview. It's not biblical worldview. 
And so we have this sacred secular divide and a gospel of salvation. And remember I said Jesus never spoke about a gospel of salvation. Salvation is the step that takes us from the world into the kingdom. But it's just the start of the journey. Because after that, we have a gospel of the kingdom, which is a life-giving gospel that Jesus gave that speaks into every area of our lives. So this salvation kingdom separation is what has been called dualism or the sacred secular divide. And so these are some of the things that got separated as a result. And historically, you can go back into the 1700s, 1800s, and see how these things got completely separated when society said, we will look after, and that was the secular side of it. We will look after these things, and you, the church, look after the others. So the church were given the job of looking after the spiritual well-being of people. They were given the job of looking after salvation, matters eternal, and matters heavenly. And don't touch what we in society and subsequently what governments have taken responsibility for, and that is for everything that matters in terms of material well-being of people, the social concerns, everything temporal, which means everything that has to do with time, you know, the, and, and everything earthly. And so that division was very real and separated uh, historically the church from real life. And that, going right back to that Greek philosophical understanding, spiritual matters are of higher value. Uh, put the church on one side. And, uh, and that's why those pastors could say, um, it's not our problem. You know, we're the church. <laughs> because that thinking came all the way through. But it's not Hebrew and it's not biblical. So, thy kingdom come on earth versus a mystical gospel. That's what we were faced with. And... Um, Thy kingdom come on earth is what we pray, isn't it? We, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let thy kingdom come on earth. But then the church preaches a mystical gospel and lives a mystical gospel. And so it is possible for somebody on a Sunday to stand in the church and worship the Lord and have a, a spiritual relationship and on Monday morning go to work and own a company or a, a factory that pours toxic waste, in, waste into the river that affects people downstream and for that not to be a problem for that person because there's a spiritual life and then there's my real life and the two don't meet. And so this mystical gospel became very much part of what we inherited and I said to you that we've all inherited uh, some, some of these things and it's not our fault, it's not your fault. But we all came through an education system that has, um, that has divided spiritual matters from real life. Now, not all of us, some of us would have had elements of that, obviously, coming through in Christian schools and so on. But by and large, all of us have been deeply impacted by this understanding that you know, the church looks after spiritual things and the rest of, the, you know, the rest of life uh, is done elsewhere. And that's, it's not biblical, and that's not biblical worldview. And so we're going to end this session here, and uh, the next session I'll tie it all together. 
so that we can come to a place where we understand what it is that we as Christians need to do and how we're going to do it to change the world that we live in because it's very possible. Good. Tea time. <laughs>